What's up, fellas? Hopefully you guys enjoyed your 4th of July. Um, right now, you can head over to runthepower.com. We're adding a completely new series, uh, a new series on special teams from Coach Flynn. Um, he has got his own series now on RTP, so you guys can view that if you're an RTP premium member. You can also still go over, grab your all-access pass if you missed anything from the Hot Summit, uh, Hot O-Line Summit, or uh, you didn't miss it, you watched it live for free, and you just want to re-watch it again. Uh, you can do all of that at runthepower.com. This episode of RTP is brought to you by Vices. Vices football helmets are different than other helmets on the market. Their design reduces impact forces by yielding in a collision, which is similar to a car bumper. Concept so unique that the helmet was named one of Time Magazine's top 25 inventions of 2017. The Zero One is the top performing helmet for the third year in a row in the NFL, NFL Players Association testing, and the Zero One is the highest rated five-star helmet under five pounds in the Virginia Tech Star Helmet Ratings. For younger athletes, Vices recently launched the Zero One Youth the highest-rated youth football helmet ever tested by Virginia Tech. The Zero-One Youth was specifically designed for the speed and impact seen at the youth level. Protect your athletes with the top-performing helmets in the game. For more information on Vices technology, order request, team pricing, or financing options, visit Vices.com on the web, which is V-I-C-I-S.com on the web. Vices, protect the athlete and elevate the game. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Guardian Caps. Both of our programs at Broken Arrow and at Ankeny with Walls uh, invested in Guardian Caps this past year, and uh, they've really, really helped out our guys uh, in when we're in pads. Their soft-shell helmet covers that reduce impact during practice and are used by over 100 colleges and 1,000 high schools. Texas, Clemson, Oklahoma, those are just a few of the colleges using them right now. Uh, not only do they do that, right, but they keep your helmets uh, I know coaches, we don't like to go in there with a Sharpie and mark everything in so, so it looks nice on game day for your head coach. Uh, they, they help with that a lot in practice from uh, just not scuffing up those helmets and getting even more wear and tear on them um, on, on the aesthetics part of it uh, during practice. Go check out our show notes to see what Coach Lincoln Riley thinks about them at OU and to get some uh, team pricing which uh, they're a lot more affordable uh, than what you guys would think. So uh, go to guardiancaps.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital risk coaches. Trusted at practice by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send out scout cards and installs to players so they can stay up-tempo, all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play drawing systems and hand drawn cards, GoRoute teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you value practice time, which obviously we all do, uh, and want to be uh, to have the best preparation, then you need to go no scout cards with GoRoute. Learn more at GoRoute.com, email at sales at GoRoute.com, or give them a call at 866 866- Seven 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 one four four eight. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Doug Samuels. Coach Samuels is the content manager for Football Scoop and the head football coach at Ravenna High School in Ravenna, Michigan. Listen as we talk with Coach Samuels about his job at Football Scoop, what he learns from the many coaches he comes in contact with, and how he has applied it in his own career as a head coach in Michigan. You can follow Coach Samuels on Twitter at Coach Sams. Hope you guys enjoy. 
Yep. Uh, so my name is Doug Samuels. I, I, uh, I graduated high school, Shelby High School in, in West Michigan. Uh, awful uh, football team at the time. Um, <laughs> was fortunate enough to play uh, to play some college ball, D3 at Defiance College in Northwest Ohio. Uh, had a great time there. Played two years on the offensive line and two years at tight end. Um, just kind of depending on uh, if I felt like eating burgers or salad. Uh, for the year um so, so kind of went back and forth there um <clears throat> so spent four years there lettered for three of them um and then from there I, I really knew that coaching was something that I wanted to do and and really with, with the end goal of being a high school head coach um so, so what I did was I, I took a uh, an intern uh position at North Park University of Chicago working with the tackles and tight ends for uh, a year, and then uh, from there, I went to Rockford College, no Rockford University in uh, northern Northern Illinois, um, and where I got I, a guy like me got to coach the quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers um, over the course of the season. So, um, so by like 24, I had the, the opportunity to coach every position at the college level on offense, wow. uh, which was was really nice. great. Um, and, and then I wanted to get back home. Uh, coached a, a year of high school ball at a small high school, Holton High School here in Michigan. Um, took a year off from coaching and uh, tried to do like an athletic recruiting gig that you know, I didn't really love. Um, and then moved back home, <clears throat> started coaching um, at my alma mater, which I, at that point it just kind of started to turn the corner. We uh, we put together two of the best seasons in school history, two straight two straight trips to the uh, state semifinals. Um, and then I, I met my wife was looking to move to the, the city. And, uh, so I, I, I took a job at four stills Northern with Ryan Oshnock, who I'm sure a lot of listeners, uh, of the podcast have heard of, um, spent two years there with him and then followed him to Hound West Ottawa, where we went two and, uh, two and seven our first year. And then, uh, major turnaround of the program went 10 and two the next year. Wow. Uh, best year in school history. Then I got my first college or my first uh, high school head coaching job after that uh, here at Ravana High School, where I'm at now. So about 350 kids. So uh, last year we went we went five and four, um, struggled a little bit defensively, averaged over 40 points a game um, and just just missed the playoffs. That's, that's a whole different conversation. Um, <laughs> but but entering my, my my second year now here. <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a lot of, of turnarounds that you've been a part of, um, which is, I think, what any coach that, you know, you're either going into a situation where that last coach was really, really good, so he moved on to, you know, somewhere better, or uh, you're kind of moving into where a coach didn't do very well, and you're looking to turn it around. So I think it's, it's a, a big question kind of for everybody, but since you've been around uh, at multiple, you know, turnaround processes, what are some of those things that, that you've seen that you guys have done that have, that have helped those turnaround processes like I said those those two or three schools that you've been to that that have made some big turnarounds so, so that for the, the first turnaround at Shelby the head coach Lorenzo Rodriguez had probably been there uh, about eight years and you know they were making the playoffs in a really tough league and that you know they were on the smaller schools and making still managing to make the playoffs but couldn't you know make it out of the first the second round and really what I, what I attribute, um, what I attribute the success kind of getting over the hump is the kids, man. We, we had a, a group of kids that were really bought in that, 
we're very talented and and you know we, we probably only play, we only had probably 22 guys on the team uh, and we were able to stay healthy so how we practice uh, not not tackling to the ground you know things like that keep practicing short crisp um, all, all that kind of stuff is 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 what kind of spurred that and I think the continuity you know the, the kids kind of knew what to expect what was expected of them. So we were able to, to make runs uh, that way with a, a mature group that was kind of ready to take the next step. But it, start, it started with the kids. The coaching staff really didn't change a whole lot. Um, and, then, and then when we went to West Ottawa, the other kind of turnaround, um, it, it was our, our first year there under Coach Osh was uh, two and seven and, and struggled with injuries and buy-in and things like that. And as that group kind of those seniors kind of graduate, we had a really really talented group of juniors. They're going to be seniors that second year. Um, that again, we're we're extremely bought in, and again, it came down to the kids. They they were mm. bought into our vision, and, and you know, kind of drinking the Kool Aid, and and that kind of that that helped us uh, turn that thing around. And uh, but but you know, the the common factor in both those were, were the kids. Man, they, they were all bought in. They were all in. Um, you know, they weren't dipping their toe in the water. They were more kicking the door down type of kid. So that's where it starts. Coach, I know you've, you've mentioned the, the kids several times, and, and obviously, you know, talent has something to do with it. And you also talked about, you know, them, them being bought in. What were some things that maybe you did to kind of win them over? Because, you know, most people – don't just, you know, look at a board and you guys write a quote or you write a workout or write something up there and all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm bought in now. What, what were some things that you guys did to maybe get them to drink the Kool-Aid? Uh, so one of the kind of more exciting things that happened when I came to Urbana is, is the program that I took over had been a, a power I team for the past 35 years. So two head coaches, three head coaches, 35 years in the same awful. And so I come in and I'm a, I'm a power, uh, power run, spread fill, huddle guy. So immediately, you know, that, that grabs the attention of the kids and the parents that, hey, you know, we're going to run something that we, just, we watch on Saturdays. So that, that, that helps them sip in the Kool-Aid right away. Uh, but, you know, from there, you really have to show that, that you're investing in the kids because I, I was the only outsider to come into Ravana and take over, take over as head coach. All the other guys were, you know, born and raised here type guys. Um, so, you know, I, I was driving 40 minutes, uh, still driving 40 minutes from my house on the side of Grand Rapids to Ravana. But, you know, open the weight room at 6 a.m. So, you know, my alarm set for 4 a.m. to try and get here. And I, I think that goes a long way with, with the kids are showing that you're investing in them and, and they're going to be willing to invest with you as well. So that's something we did right off the bat. And then, you know, one of the things that we preach all the time uh, here at Urbana, and, and actually we did the same thing at Shelby, is, is uh, we preach championship effort all the time. And uh, it used to be unquestionable effort for me, but I, I think championship level effort is something that everyone could see and identify. So on Mondays during the season, we do we do what we call uh, the circle of pain. <clears throat> so everyone circles up. All the coaches in their position group uh, count loafs and softs from the, the week before. Hmm. So any time that you weren't giving championship effort or you, you, you know, took on a block soft or you block soft, um, we, we count all those things up. Those are all, you know, minuses. Um, and then championship effort are pluses. And then each position has a group of sins as well that are unforgivable. You know, like 
you know, not wrong around a trap or, or fumbling as a running back, uh, you know, those kind of things that you can't earn back. So while we're circled up on Monday, I call each kid to play in the game out to the center. I whisper the number of his lulz or soft in his ear, and he stands in front of the group and says, my name is, and I let the team down six times. And it's immediate accountability. And then I, I speak up and I'll say, you know, so-and-so had eight championship effort plays, so you got, you're, you're plus two. So we owe you too. If 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 there's more loaves than sauce, then they, the team owes that amount of dollars. That goes for everyone that played in that game. It, it's immediate accountability that has been really great for us. Huh? That's really that's really really interesting. That's something that uh, we haven't gone to those extents, but I I, I kind of like that. Uh, that's something that we count when we're doing our grading, if you will, on offensive line out. We don't necessarily grade like most people do, but um, we do have a column for uh loafs or you know and and and, um and we bring that up to the kids as well and and I'm right there with you coach I think you know telling them and them being able to see that for themselves uh has has been a drastic change for us in the last three or four years yeah and and again I mean it it kind of puts a face to your mistakes you're you're held accountable for your performance and you know you got you got to face your peers which can be a daunting thing for a lot of high school kids uh but but it's it's gone a long way for us Coach, is that something where you guys, you know, really define like what that behavior is? Like what is kind of the definition of a soft, you know, what is the, the definition of, of a loaf? Cause I know when I, when I first kind of started that and I, and I would track those and I also track, you know, the, the positive behaviors that I wanted the kids to do. I, I had to make sure that I was really, really super clear. So like an effort block, you know, was a block where you stayed hooked up for at least three seconds. So kids could kind of know, Hey, three seconds, you know, the, kind of the average length of, of a block or a play. Is that something you had to do with your guys to kind of get them to really kind of, to, you know, hone in on it? Uh, you know, we, we don't have, you know, specific breakdown. Like, like you said, you know, staying locked down three seconds. I, I think one uh, big thing, like whether it's up front or carrying the ball or whatever, is are you straining through the end of the whistle, mm-hmm. you know, the whistle that ends the play. So, um, so, so what we do is, you know, Friday night's game happens, Saturday nights. We'll take a handful of championship effort plays and then show them to the team on Monday before we go out to practice and say, hey, this is what championship effort looks like. And there'll also be some players on there that, hey, this is, this is, this is not championship effort. This is inexcusable. So, so we, use, we use a small cut-up as, as kind of teachable balls um, and, and kind of approach things that way. Love it. I think, you know, giving them that, that feedback and, and that visualization, I think, you know, you, you see the dividends. I mean, I, I'd be interested to see, you know, what, what your change was from maybe like week one to like middle of the season. Cause I know for, for me, oh, it's, the, the same kind of deal. You, it, you start and off. Huge, and, it's, yeah. Yeah. Go it's ahead, huge. Coach. Cause you know, taking, taking over program, but you know, I'd never done anything like that. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the numbers dropped drastically. And I think back to my time at Shelby, when we did the same thing is kind of where I took the idea we're making long playoff runs and you know, we're, we're ended up in the plus for a lot of kids. And, and it's, it's, it's a lot easier to draw the conclusion after a loss or something. You see all these folks and not a whole lot of championship effort players. Well, Hey, we kind of know what happened and you got to raise, raise your level. Uh, you know, during those deep playoff runs, we we're, we're ended up, we're ended up in the plus category with a lot of kids. Our play is elevating. We're playing better. And we're making deep playoff runs. It's, 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 invariably linked 
Yeah, it's really cool to see that massive growth, um, especially I'm sure as, as you'll see, you know, from one year to the next. And then the cool part is you'll get kids that have been in the program three years and the sophomore comes up and then you're not telling the kid that that's a loaf. You've got five of his teammates telling them that it's a loaf and it's unacceptable. And, and exactly. that's, that's when it gets really, really cool. Exactly. And I, I think that's something that we all strive for as coaches is to have a player-led program and not a coach-led program. It's a lot more powerful. That's one of the things that, that we kind of do to, to ensure that. Coach, I've got to imagine, like you said, that the buy-in was, was pretty automatic when you went from um, uh, an offense that I'm sure still scored quite a bit, but uh, going from, uh, you know, a power eye offense probably to, like you said, spread around and throw it. I think you said you averaged, uh, you know, 40 points a game. Uh, just that in itself, like you said, is, had to excite the kids, had to excite probably the whole, the whole town. I, I know that's kind of what happened uh, when our offense coordinator that was at Broken Arrow the first time, and then he went to Coweta, which is a smaller school down the road. Uh, he kind of brought air raid type offense to him or spread. I'm not sure exactly w what he called it. But, uh, man, the whole town, all the kids, they were all really, really pumped and excited because – uh, we're going out there. We're scoring a lot of points. We're having fun running around. And, and uh, he, he got a lot of, of buy-in with those kids by making that change. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think that helps. But at the end of the day, if you're not, you know, if you're not pouring into the kids beyond that, it's, it's only a surface-level buy-in. Sure. So you you got to make sure you're doing things on top of that. Bro. Well, it's just like you said. Yeah, exactly right. Like you said about, I mean, putting in the time. I mean, you, you've got to take – um, which, which is what I grabbed the most from probably our head coach is just the amount of time that he's up at football uh, and, and those kids see it, you know, from having, having you know, football open at 6 a.m. all the way till on Saturdays a few hours, having it open just so the kids can have somewhere to be and, and those kids end up feeling all that time that you're putting in and, and they, uh, um, you know, benefit so much from it. Yeah, and then the other thing that Ravana did with my job at Football Scoop, I can really work anywhere with Wi-Fi. So they give me the old librarian's office here. So I'm around, I, you know, I'm investing in the kids even more, being around the school, visiting them at lunchtime. Uh, you know, I'm not just kind of popping in and out for practice, which, which goes a long way. Yeah, I think that a lot of people, you know, kind of forget about those things. I mean, the, the first thing, you know, to, to any part of culture, getting people to buy in is, is you being present. You know, it's it's difficult for you to be the, you know, leader or dictator or whatever. You stay in your office the whole time and you're just telling people what to do. I mean, the, the people who, uh, you know, see the biggest results are the guys that are in the weight room. You know, they're the guys that are on yes. the factory floor and, and hopping in and they're helping people pull the weight and do the work too. I, exactly. And I, I think one of the other unique things about Ravana here is I think I've got a staff of 13 guys. Um, for a school of 350 kids, um, and only one of them works in the building. Only one of them is a teacher. Um, so, so I've got a lot of guys from the community that you know are driving from either Muskegon uh, um, or, or guys that have played here and are just so passionate about it. So, um, it's 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 a lot of faces that kids know, and it's not necessarily the, the traditional setup when you know you've got seven or eight guys that are in the building. It's it's, it's a little different. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite a bit different, and, and it's um, it seems like just from from the coaches we've talked to and the, all the states we've we've visited, uh, it really a lot of it, not a lot of it, but it, it can seem very state, you know, state wise uh, that happens more than other places. You know, when we go to Oklahoma or Texas, there's uh, it's almost all the coaches are 
are working for that school where um, I, you know, coach, coach Broyles, who works the offensive line with me um, when he was in Vegas, he was at a school 45 minutes away uh, teaching at, and then he had to come over to his school for uh, practice. And, and he was one of the only teachers that even, uh, you know, in one of the few coaches that was actually a teacher as well. Um, and, and same thing in Colorado, I went to Colorado, a, a school that, you know, they said they had maybe two guys in the building. Uh, and so it, it really does, uh, you know, change, I think, quite a bit about uh, how much relationship you have with these kids, which you can still build just as probably a good a relationship and not be a teacher there. But uh, there's something that at least I enjoy a little extra about seeing those guys every day walk around the hall and, and being around other kids. Yeah, I, I do think there's a lot of value in that, without question. If you can get guys at the building, but I, I think for whatever reason, more and more in, in you know today's modern coaching world, you've got you know coaches that uh, or teachers that have been there and coached, that maybe leave their their coaching position, but still, you know, they're not going to uproot their job, so they remain in the building. Right. Um, and and I, I, I see that in a lot of West Michigan schools where, huh. you know, there's three, four, five former head coaches in the building, and you're going to bring in someone from the outside like me who's got a flexible job that, you know, allows them to do something like that. But um, but, but that's, that's just kind of the way that, that the coaching profession, I think, is kind of shifting, is opening up doors for – for guys like me and guys that work on the outside where traditionally it's always been a teacher or someone in the building. Yeah. I think you see more and more of those guys, you know, maybe it's, you know, the, the, you know, time from the job or all the things that you have to do that they, they get worn out. But then at the same time, they're like, man, I'm going to need to put in X amount of years to retire here and, and be comfortable. So they, they maintain their, their teaching position in it. It can help, but it also can can hurt because, like you said, it, it it doesn't leave as many openings for you know new coaches to come in, or you know teachers that do happen to coach. It makes it difficult. It does. It makes it difficult, not impossible. You just kind of have to have some administration decision makers that kind of you know think a little more outside the box. I think it's really important nowadays. Coach, you mentioned uh, you know one of your first gigs with with tackles and tight ends and. And at Broken Arrow, anyways, the high school I'm at, uh, we make that switch of kids quite often. And, and honestly, we even try to – we're coming up with a name. So, if anyone has a great name for it, uh, let me know. But we're coming up with a name for our third tackle, which is, is normally a young guy that we try to put as our backside tight end so he can get uh, live reps. But we're to the point where, you know, our sixth best lineman, he's going to play uh, our second tight end. And, and we've had plenty of guys that have gone from – left tackles to tight end the next year or uh, they come in wanting to be tight ends as, as sophomores and by their junior year they're they're back into a, a tackle or guard position is is that something that that you guys probably did quite a bit in college uh, I know like you said you you did it personally uh, quite a bit so is there is there a big change uh, from going from tackle to tight end or, or are they pretty similar other than the, the route running uh, so you I actually changed from tackle, or I'm sorry, from tight end to guard when I was in college. I, I was uh, 260 pounds. I was too big and slow to be a too fat and slow to be a tight end. An effective <laughs> tight end, um, but you know, it's kind of undersized to be a, a true tackle or guard. So it's kind of in between. Um, and, and you know, we 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 haven't run into that a whole lot. Uh, this, 
from what I understand, this, this is more of a down south thing, but when I when I got the job at Ravana, asking a couple of kids, you know, what position they played, and they looked like running back type kids, um, you know, that kind of build at a small school, <clears throat> and they tell me, oh, I played I played speed guard, or I played power guard, or I played power tackle, so they would switch sides of the line based on you know the play call or the play direction mm-hmm. um so maybe power tackle is the name for your uh the, the new position you're carving out it's <laughs> just an idea single wing idea right there, there uh, you go, the we haven't run into that a ton we, we, we're pretty blessed we've probably got three or four tight ends this next year that could be like true hand in the ground type tight ends which which i think is is um unreal for a school our size um and we'll be a little undersized up front but yeah we we didn't run into that a whole lot i think after i left north park uh, a couple of the tackles or the tight ends that i had there and that bumping down to the the line but again more more guard and than tackle and when i was playing we had a tight end end up tra- uh, moving down to tackle but i guess in my experience it's more going from tight ends to tackles than or tight ends to guards and tight ends to tackle. Hmm, that's that's interesting you say that just because uh, I had a coach, uh, Coach Shaw, when I was at Houston, and my the, the kind of prevailing theory, you know, it, it's kind of the same, but um, the whole prevailing theory my whole life thought when I was playing was, you know, guards, uh, you put your guards to center and centers have to play guards, and, and those are interchangeable. He ended up taking uh, tackles, tight ends, and converting th- those into their centers. So instead of moving his guards to center, he'd convert tackles tight ends. He said he loved the length and, and the athleticism. Uh, you know, he, he was a coach at um, Minnesota, so they run a lot of pin and pull and different things back when he was there. But uh, he would take those tackle tight end type bodies and convert those guys into centers, which I thought was interesting. I still haven't done it. I still haven't done that ever as a coach, but uh, it was kind of interesting. That, you know, everyone's got their own thoughts on, on uh, you know, some of those conversions. Yeah, and, and I, I think maybe part of it is is you know depending on what scheme you're running and what front you're seeing. If you're a big gap scheme team, um, you know mo- moving moving someone down to center where they're just pinning back on a one tech when you're when you're seeing uh, even front teams all the time makes sense. Um, or you know if you're seeing an odd front team, you got a head up nose. There's a tight end, you're probably going to see a head up technique as well. That guy from from tight end to center isn't as big of a change either. So, but, you know, those might be other factors that kind of weigh into that. Coach, you guys play then with a tight end quite a bit? Uh, so I think actual hand on the ground tight end, we, we probably only use 20, 25% of the time. But we're big 11 personnel team. We just use them in that kind of sniffer H-back uh, type formation. Um, we big power, uh, counter, buck sweep. Um, so, so having him off the line and, and being versatile is, is really our biggest priority. Is that something that uh, you dual train those guys to be a tight end and a sniffer, uh, or is that a different guy and, and a whole different position for you guys? So, you know, I think our first year at Forces Northern, we were running similar offense. We would, we would use our tight end, but really he was like a – you know, slightly more athletic guard. Didn't catch a pass the entire year. We were an 11 personnel with a sniffer. Um, you know, we, we were running the ball. We were almost 100% run, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of a, a dead giveaway. We, we've kind of evolved over the years with the personnel that we have. That uh, we, We've been really fortunate to have tight ends that can 
both play with their hand on the ground end, be a sniffer, and split out at receiver. So I think the past four, four or five years, we've had guys that can do all those things. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a, um, you know, a, a, a result of what we do in the offseason. I think we've just been, been blessed with finding those type of athletes or, um, you know, just being in places where, where we have those type of guys. But uh, the past few years, we that, that, that sniffer guy has also been in our three-by-one sets, our number two receiver. Um, so, so it's worked out great where we don't have to run people on and off the mm-hmm. field. We can just roll from 10 personnel to 11. That makes it so difficult, I feel like, on defenses. And we've talked about it a little bit. But uh, to be able to go uh, up-tempo or, or have a tempo offense and not, you know, not get anyone out, but then you get, you're playing, you know, 11 personnel, and then next time you're going 10 or, or even empty, you know, all with the same people, um, it, it makes it really difficult on defense and, and on a coordinator as well, I think. And so if you've got one of those guys and, – and I think there's probably a lot, quite a few high schools that if they made that that was the point of their offense, I think they could find a guy. You know, at Broken Arrow, we kind of complain and say we don't have that guy, but we probably do. But he's probably more important to us playing uh, a true linebacker or or um, you know something like that. You know, to our offense, where if we were if we wanted to be like that, I, I think we could probably you know most high schools could probably find somebody that could do. Um, you know, all three of those things, maybe not as well as, as others, but um, if you made that a priority, probably you could find a, a guy or two to do that for you. Yeah. And I mean, you really only need, when, when you really think about it, if you're a power counter buck sweep team and, and he's got to, you know, be semi-reliable catching the ball, you know, he's got, he's got to kick out on power. He's got to wrap for the first backer of the box on, on counter um, and, you know, maybe leak out to the flats every once in a while to, to catch a little pitch and catch. It's, it's not asking them to do a whole lot. I think there's things in the offseason you can do to prepare for that. Coach, when you guys run power, are your guards uh, skip pulling or are you guys open pull? So we, we've done it both ways. Uh, I think this past year we we're, were more of a, um, a flat pull team just because that, that's what they've been used to in the past. Uh, I think this next year will probably be more of a skip pull team because we're we're a little undersized. I see keeping those uh, those shoulders square and eyes on the target is important. Uh, but I think it just depends on you know if, if you're a new head coach at a program to uh, to understand what they did in the past and kind of build on that, and then use maybe your first or second off season to transition away from that if you if you feel like you need to, depending on depending on what you have coming up in the program if you want to make that change. I got you. So, so when you're running counter, because uh, I had never heard of this until a couple of weeks ago we had a coach on uh, from Louisiana, uh, and, and he said that they use their H, like on counter, they'll actually skip pull them. And then I think Coach Walls said they kind of do like a basketball shuffle. So when you guys are running counter, we've always just had the, the H, you know, turn, turn his shoulders and, and wrap up in there. How do you guys teach your, your H – or whatever you guys call him, F, uh, to, to block counter. What's his – is he turning and running through there? Is he doing kind of a skip slash shuffle? So, for us, we, we call him our Y. Um, but for, for us, he turns his shoulders from Because I, I, I saw a couple, maybe an off season or two ago, where Oklahoma was running counter to the same side as where they, they line up their, their sniffer. 
So we, we started to add that as a little wrinkle as well. So now he just, when we want to run to the same side he's lined up in, it's the opposite, like everyone kind of game plan for. Now he turns his shoulders and takes uh, two steps, and then he just inserts back up into the hole after the kickout. Hmm. Um, so, so we feel like turning the shoulders, you know, adds that misdirection element when, when we want to bring it back to the other side. So, so, so we, we kept the, the, the turn the shoulders deal because we wanted to add a, an element kind of off. Mm. Gave you another play off of it. Coach, now is that, is that exactly, a position? Yeah. I mean, knowing you guys have, you know, 13 coaches that, that are working, is that a position that gets, you know, its own coach? So th- those kids are, are getting developed all the time, or is that a guy that, you know, maybe you're lumping him in with the offensive line or the running backs? Yeah, he, he's kind of the, the redheaded stepchild, so he kind of splits time between, <laughs> you know, the, the, the O-line and the, and the tight ends. And, and I, I, I've always tried, as, since I've been calling the offense, um, have always kind of um, taken that on my shoulders to get that right, playing the position. And, uh, you know, for a while there, it seemed like the tight end position was one that was going to die. Um, so so I, I've always taken a lot of pride in kind of taking that on, on my shoulders. Um, so I'll coach the running backs and, and the wise when they're in my special guy or out came on the ground. Otherwise, when he's a receiver, he's he's with the receivers. So that's what I think. I mean, teams, you know, I, I think it's easier if you're kind of a, a zone-based team to maybe, you know, not have him not, not have him coached as much because I think it's a, it'd be the same. You can kind of send him with the offensive line where – yeah, where you're asking him in the gap schemes to where now he, he has to wrap and, and swab people, he has to kick out, and then obviously he's doing everything he does in the pass game. I think when you're a gap team, that that has to be a, a priority, and that guy has to be coached. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Coach, you mentioned uh, you also obviously work for uh, Football Scoop. Is that something you've been able to use um, to your advantage, I would assume, as a football coach. I mean, I know uh, just as far as uh, all the film you would have to see, uh, I, I know like for us doing this podcast, I've become uh, a much better coach just because of, of the things I've learned these past two years. Uh, so, so being around football, outside of football, I've got to assume even like getting to watch OU's uh, counter from the same side. I mean, is that some stuff that you get to – You get to. Uh, I don't want to say steal in a bad way, but – you get to borrow things from from all the different film, all the different football that that you're going through and reading and and watching. Yeah, and I, I you know, for, first of all, I think everything in coaching is stolen at one point or another. I mean, there's very few right. yes. original right. ideas anymore. So I, I don't think when, when we're talking about like coaching and scheme wise, I, I don't I don't see stealing as a bad word. I think it's more of a compliment to uh, to whoever you're stealing it from. Uh, but but I think I think my my advantage for football scoop. Uh, number one, just based on you know the people that I follow on social media and stuff like that, exposed to a lot more scheme stuff than I, I think a, a lot of uh, you know most coaches probably. Um, but I, I and, and also you know beyond that, the relationships I've been able to develop with coaches uh, based on my role with the scoop. Uh, but but I think you know more beneficial beyond that has been my. Uh, just being able to to learn off the field stuff from, or um, yeah, off the field stuff from from coaches. Whether it's you know mm. a quote here or there, or um, you know one 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 thing I kind of started with my wife since we started traveling is wherever we go, we try and we visit the college one of the college football programs in the area. So 
two weeks ago or three weeks ago when the final four we went out to uh, Minneapolis and you know, I had some contacts at Minnesota. I was like, hey, can we swing by for a visit? Um, and, you know, they everyone I reach out to opens their doors and is, is more than welcoming about showing us around. Uh, when I was down at Hawaii, Coach Rolo gave us a, a tour to the entire campus, I think, um, and then had lunch with us. Uh, so, so that kind of stuff, just just getting to know coaches on kind of a personal level away from uh, football stuff um, and, and learning how they run their program and what they feel is important and why they feel it's important has been an, an, a, a, a huge advantage. And, and being able to write about that and, and share a lot of it with the coaching profession is, it has made me really blessed. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the, the you know, story of football scoop and kind of how it's evolved. I know it started really as, as kind of, you know, the, the coaching rumor mill or the, you know, the job front and now it's grown into so much more. And I know you, you're, you're handling a lot of the, the content pieces and, and bring in all kinds of, of cool, you know, knowledge and, and what are the latest, you know, could be issues or, or things that are going to be, you know, kind of the hot button topics in football. But I think, you know, you know, football scoop had never started like that. You know, it started out kind of early that way. And then now, heck, they, they throw one of the coolest socials at the AFCA, you know, so I think it's, it's become kind of a household name for a lot of football coaches. I, I think so too. I, I really feel like it's, it's part it, and, and I, I say this a little biased, obviously, but I think <laughs> one of the strongest brands in football. Yes. Uh, you say football scoop, and everyone knows, you know, what you're talking about, especially at the college level, and becoming more and more so at the high school level over the past, you know, decade or so. But, you know, from my understanding, the way it started was in, in 1999, a guy named Keith Allen, who um, is now a high school coach at the Kings Academy, I believe, in Florida. Um, he started, I believe, it was like a newsletter or something, just with the, you know, the GA jobs or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, intern jobs or full time jobs that he had heard of he was sending out i believe in a newsletter um so, so guys were getting a mailing and then it kind of evolved to uh, a bare bones website and then uh scott Rousseau, my boss i think bought it in 2009 i want to say um and i want i think keith was coaching the college level at the time so uh, Missouri, scott think, and his yeah. brother bought it yeah Scott and his brother bought it, and, and they kind of had things running there for a little while. And then I, I came on board, I think, seven or eight years ago. Um, I was working for an athletic recruiting company and absolutely hated it. Um, it was just too car salesman for me. Mm. And I was on the scoop all the time looking for my next college gig. and saw that he was hiring, so I, I had my references. Like, I, I literally told my references, I want you to harass this guy until I get an interview. And that's what my guys did and end up getting an interview and then a second interview. And actually my, so I, I showed up to work the next day to tell him that I was going to quit. And Scott sent me a text. He's like, Hey, I think your head coach in the science got fired. Can you check that out for me? So that was, that would have been my first, you know, thing I would have posted on the scoop if I had started that day was that my college coach had, had been fired, which was really <laughs> kind of ironic in the grand scheme of things. So I, I'm without even really being on the job. I'm trying to track down what's going on. I'm a modern and uh, relaying that information to him. While I'm trying to not put in my two weeks at my new at the the job I was at uh, to start at the stoop. So you know, but you know, from there you know, there were some growing pains when I first started. Um, but you know, after uh, I think a year, year and a half, I, I kind of got back into the coaching thing, and I, I think that kind of helps 
um, it definitely helps me kind of keep my keep the pulse of the coaching profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's really what I take a lot of pride in. Is I feel like we are the voice of the coaching profession. Hmm. You know, there's there's obviously other organizations out there that <clears throat> that feel that way as well, but. You know, no other organization has a website. The guys are checking 10, 20, 30 times a day uh, for <laughs> yeah. stuff. So, so we have, we, you know, we have a lot of that uh, poll where people are coming to the site all the time. So we feel, uh, we, we feel an obligation and a duty to, to kind of keep people in the loop as far as what, like we used to, what, what things are happening in some way, rule changes, obviously coaching changes and that kind of stuff. But, but that's what's fun for me is every day when I wake up, like it's it's not the same thing time after time after time. It's a little bit different here and there, um, which uh, I, I really enjoy. If I had to show up to a nine to five job and you know do the same thing for you know twelve months out of the year, I I pull my pull my eyes out of their eye socket. So it's it, it's a lot of fun. It's something different every day. We never really know what's coming. No, I completely agree. I mean, I, and it, it used to give us a lot of fun. I mean, I I enjoyed it too because I love how you guys always kind of had the slant and the angle for the GAs who are always kind of, you know, the, the unheralded coaches, the guys who do the behind-the-scenes work, the grunt work. And it, it was always fun because, you know, you we were trying to help guys get jobs and you had articles and you had interviews for GAs. And, and I just thought it was fun because it also would give us, uh, you know, a chance when sometimes that jobs would come open and you could, you could toss some scoop around and you could actually kind of play some pranks on some guys. So, I mean, we used to have a lot of fun with the, the scoop and I, and I still check it literally, like you said to this day. So I think, you know, it became, it became one of those, those kind of go-to sites, especially when you're grinding, you know, 80 to a hundred hour weeks. Right. And I really think that's, that's probably part of the reason that Scott, you know, started doing the social thing is number one, kind of getting everyone under one roof and, um and and you know kind of connecting with people but i remember as a young uh ga going to the convention like i don't know 32 dollars in my pocket and trying to figure out how i was going to make that stretch through you know the waffle house or denny's for three or four days so to be able to provide some 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 some, you know free adult beverages at, at you know an event for a few times a year where you know guys are grinding a kind of a thankless job uh, I, I think this is really important. Really, at the end of the day, those are the guys that end up, you know, going on to be offensive coordinators and head coaches, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road. So so it, it, it also helps us now. Uh, Coach, you've been able to, to, to be around some, obviously, I would assume, some very, very good head coaches. And like you said, you've been able to pick the brains of some great college coaches and, and high school coaches across the country. Uh, so now as a head coach, uh, I don't know if you've you've been through the process yet, or or you will. I'm sure eventually of, of hiring some coaches. Uh, what are some some things that you're looking for in an interview when when you're interviewing a coach? Uh, let's just say just a regular, just an assistant coach on your team. What, what are some things that you're trying to uh, maybe not exact questions, but some things you're trying to learn about these coaches uh, when you're trying to decide if if you want to hire them onto your team? You know, it's it's kind of funny when I was, when Osh hired me at uh, Four Hills Northern. Um, I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I knew of him. We kind of talked a little bit, but, but, you know, thank you. Our, uh, the, the interview process, thank you, man. The, the interview process was, you know, Hey, I got this, this position open. Are you interested? I'm like, yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, you had, and, and I've kind of done the same thing here with that. I, I really haven't had a long drawn out interview process where I sit down for an hour, 
make guys strong think, oh, uh, I want to know if they're good people, first and foremost, uh, you know, men of integrity and, and character that our kids can, can look up to. Um, that, that, that's really first and foremost. I, I think a lot of the football stuff can, can be learned, especially when you're taking over a program like I did that has been, you know, so linear in, in their, their offensive uh, approach for so long. Um, so understanding that, I think, is, is first and foremost. Um, you know, what, one, one thing that, that I actually added to my list after my first year is when I hire my next coordinator, I'm going to make him get up and just draw like the offense of the defense. I'm a firm believer that you can tell how dedicated or how good a coach is and how they just draw an offense or a defense up. And I'm not talking about alignment. I'm talking about are they taking time to draw perfect squares and hmm. perfect circles. Like, it, it, you know, coaches that have done it time and time and time again have a, kind of a set rhythm to how they draw things up. Uh, a rhyme or reason to it. And I've been around guys that have, you know, taken their sweet little time drawing perfect squares and circles. And that's, that's really not important when you're drawing up plays and stuff. So um, I, I found that guys that do that probably aren't as seasoned uh, scheme wise as the guys that are, you know, their square almost looks like a circle. So uh, that that's, that's one thing that it's one weird thing. I've probably kind of added to my, uh, lists of things that I'm looking for that you probably don't hear a whole lot, but, but I, I'm a big believer. And, and next time you see guys that draw things up a certain way, I, I think it'll probably click for you. Um, but they, you know, they gotta be, they gotta be high character guys, like I said. Um, and, and beyond that, I, I really feel like, you know, we, we can meet enough and, uh, really at the end of the day, coaches make things so much more complicated than they really are. Um, you know, it really comes down to blocking and tackling and doing it safely, uh, catching, running, all that kind of stuff. We we can teach that kind of stuff, but you can't you can't teach someone how to be you know a good person or magically make them a man of integrity. I, I want those guys on my staff. Coach, what do you do about a guy like Coach Harper who likes to draw up all the receivers first? Oh, I have not heard that one before. All the receivers. <laughs> I have heard the opposite though. I went to the guy a few years ago that. That wouldn't even. That would just draw literally a line for the offensive line, and then draw everyone. Oh, else. I, no, know I know a guy. guy that does that. I know a guy that does that. And I and I've yelled at him every time he does it. No. And that's actually now that I think about it, he's probably the lone exception to the rule of drawing people up. He's a heck of a football coach, but that, that's that's the that's the only. The only exception that I found to that rule, and and that's a pretty big exception. <laughs> oh man, I went through uh, countless um, expo markers because um, I got made fun of first because um, my circles weren't ovals. Uh, our our first defensive coordinator said they're supposed to be ovals, and so I went through marker after marker of just, just drawing ovals and ovals and ovals. And one time I was drawing up a play for somebody else, and our head coach David Alexander a couple of years ago. Uh, made fun of my bees for linebackers because uh, they weren't connected and didn't look right. And so then I went through a few more uh, markers going through bees and making those better. And then another coach taught me how to make the E's for ends um, a quicker way, which is like you almost make a C and then you put a line through the middle of it. Um, and oh, that so makes sense. That's, that's efficient. I like that. Yeah, it's a lot more efficient to make the end. 
Um, and then I got into there for a while. I'd make the tackle. I'd draw him, uh, the defense tackle, upside down um, because that's how our OC did it. And then I asked him why, and he said, I don't know. I've always done it that way. So then I kind of stopped doing that. So uh, I've gone, gone through a little <laughs> bit of the gamut in these four years. And then um, I've also seen guys that uh, the center is what always intrigues me is how a guy's going to draw up a center. Everyone else gets fairly the same. Um, I take a lot of crap because linebackers, I just put them as B. I don't put a Sam and a Mike and a Will um, because, to me, it's not all that important, just that there's a guy there. Um, but yeah. So I take a lot of crap for that. But uh, I always like to see how guys are going to draw centers because there's so many different ways that the guys like to draw their centers. And so that's always my intrigue. I, I've always been a square guy. Um, but, you know, there's some guys square with, a, with an X through it, which doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. You know, circle with a line at least makes sense because it's not like all the other circles. But uh, And then we had a Coach, uh, Coach Clink, who's, uh, his was always a, a B. A weird B was the ball. So that's always my, my intrigue uh, as how guys are going to draw it up. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing. I, I learned uh, from Glenn Caruso, the head coach at uh, St. Thomas a few years ago, that he – demands that all of his coaches uh, write the same exact way. Uh, so the offense, I think, always has to be on the bottom, and the defense is on the top. He doesn't want some defensive guy coming in and think he rules the world by <laughs> put the defense on the top and the right. offense on the bottom. Everyone on his staff has to do it the same way. And I said, well, you know, that's great while they're with you, Coach, but what if they leave for somewhere else? Because I, I don't give a damn what they do anywhere else. <laughs> they're on my staff. They're going to do it this way. So, you know, makes makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> well, that was that's what I stole from Coach Walls the first year, and and uh, a defense guy drew it upside down. And Walls was like, "You don't have enough on the line of scrimmage," because <laughs> it had the four defensive linemen down there uh, on on the bottom, yeah. and it really got it, those defense guys ate that joke. But that's a really funny, <laughs> funny one to. And then uh, then the the safeties. I never know what to put as the safeties. Um, you know, do you go free in an S or free in a money sign or S with the line and the other one's a regular S and then there's a Sam. So I, I never know with that either. I just put two S's for safeties and, and they, you know, three B's for linebackers. That, that works. I, I mean, otherwise you've got a Sam linebacker and a, uh, a S for safety. It can get a little confused. I, I like to change it up on people just to keep people on their toes. <laughs> <laughs> I literally and that's I what you tell people it. at least exactly I, I change it up all the time because like I said I've been I'm like you coach I've been so many places and so many ways that it's done I think it's probably just whatever mood coach walls is in that day some days it's going to be a dollar sign yeah. for safety some days it's going to be the f other days I might just go coach Harper and say screw it I'm just making s's <laughs> yeah but but the great thing about being a head coach when you run your own program is you can tell everyone else how to do it so exactly Something to shoot for. I I am with Coach Harper on the backers, though. I, I'm I'm a B guy all the way. I just call him there. He's a backer. There's a backer here. I get tired. I, I'm of the, the whole, same way too. Until I, until I became a, a head coach, and we have a you know a Mike and Jack and a Sam and a Will. <laughs> That's uh, right. So, so we we we've, we've <laughs> yeah. That, then but when you're looking at things from both sides, it's, it's a little different. Right. Then it then it's kind of important when you're just looking at it on the offensive side. You're like, yeah, there's just a guy there. Call him whatever you want. He's a linebacker. Right. He's there. That's who you got to block. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is true. Do you coach receivers? I'm just trying not to confuse them. I don't want them thinking about it. Hey, block the backer. Exactly. I, do, I will them. say 
I will say what I've done though with cards, I think has been uh, really good. And, and I'm sure everyone, a lot of people do this, but I've had a lot of coaches come through and be like, Oh, it's kind of interesting. So when I'm drawing up cards for a defense uh, for our scout team defense against our offense, I always number them. I don't put them as any letters or any, anything. It's always a number. Um, and that seemed to help our guys out a ton, especially if we weren't to go from over to under to odd and, and blitz guys and do different things, uh, just putting them as a number. And then when they come in saying, you're one, two, three, and the number and out through 11, now they just find their number, where's my number, and then I get set up there. Uh, it, to me, when we were using letters, it got way too confusing and guys would be shifting on other sides of the line. Of the line and and it, it kind of all got real um, muddied up to where when if I just, if I just went with numbers, um, that they could they normally figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, we we do the same. We we actually take it a step further. I think it's just, just my, the uh, coach Osh influence being a, a GA under Butch Jones at Central in Cincinnati is uh, he also color coded this. Hmm. So we had, we had different markers for each one, and you know that helps a lot of kids. I, I happen to be colorblind, so it didn't really help me a lot. Me too. Numbers helped me more. <laughs> Uh, but, but, but for the kids to say, Hey, follow the blue line, because you know, you're playing wing T teams or single wing teams. Um, you know, it can get a little bit confusing when everything's kind of jammed into the box. Um, so, so color coding them is kind of the next layer of that. I think the guys got too much time on their hands, man. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't keep <laughs> hey, all my hey, if, if, if you can make it more efficient for the scout team, the less you have to explain the, the better off you're going to be. No that, doubt about that. That is also true. I'd, I'd go with the numbers because it'd be a little bit faster for me. Yeah, that's what yeah. I've seen. All the colors. I just I'm like you, coach. I, I'm colorblind too, like uh, red, green, and brown. Um, but uh, yeah. I get too many colors in there, and they start they start uh, all looking the same, and then it confuses me more. So, um, but but that is a good idea because, like you said, you're doing it for the kids. So as long as I don't screw it up, uh, it should be good for the kids. And, I mean, even more than the kids, you probably got, you know, some young coach or something over there running the scout team, so you want to make life easier on him, too. So, you know, try and make it where you're yelling at him the least amount that you possibly can, make his life easier. Even if it makes yours a little harder, it's probably worth it in the walk. Well, that's one thing that I found, and, and I, I try to tell anyone I, I can about it is, uh, and I think I stole it from Coach Nal, who uh, he was at, at one of the big powerhouses in Texas, and now he's at – Waco Midway, another powerhouse, but um, I stole it from him. But actually having me, the offensive line coach, go and run the scout offense. Um, and ever since I've done that, it's been one of the best things I think we do as coaches because uh, it lets me work with all five or six of my offensive linemen that are all, uh, you know, sophomores. All of our younger guys that we're trying to develop that probably don't get as much time with me as I wish they would. Now if I get to run scout cards, uh, I see how they kind of want it blocked. Uh, but I can make that, you know, I can I can call it whatever it is that we call it, you know. There's only so many plays, unless we're playing a, um, you know, a flex bone team or, or so, you know, veer option, maybe we don't call it, you know. But just about everything else, uh, you know, it's power, so we'll call it what we call power and, and look at this, and that gets us a lot of uh, coaching time with some of those young kids. That, I mean, that that's one way to do it. You know, the way that I, I've structured my staff here at Ravana and that we've done uh, the past the past few years is we've uh, – so we, we have an offensive staff and a defensive staff. So if it's an offensive emphasis day, the, the 
the offensive staff is working with the offense. The defensive staff will work with the JV defense. Mm-hmm. Then when we flip, now my offensive staff will go work with the JV. Defensive staff will now come up and work with varsity. So that way, those players are hearing the same coaching points and getting the same coaching, you know, uh, as a goal for all those four years. They're not getting, you know, you know, a, a JV coach who might not be the same caliber as your varsity guy. They're not getting his verbiage for two years mm-hmm. and then another coach's verbiage for the next two years. So you're getting coached by the same guy the same way for, for four years. I think there's a lot of value. No question, Coach. I think that's a great way to do it, especially when you're at some of the programs where you got to, you know, split it up a little bit. The more that I think we can, you know, cross over and coach a lot of those, you know, so-called developmental levels, it's, you know, more hands on deck, more eyes there, the more reps those kids can get where they're getting feedback and coached. That's, that's how you build programs to me that, that last a long time and it's not a year-to-year deal. Right, absolutely. Well, Coach, we're running up on an hour now, but uh, the last question I always like to ask coaches is, is when you're watching another team's offensive line, uh, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? How they come off the ball. Um, and if they're a huddle team, which, you know, those are becoming extinct as well, how they approach <laughs> the line after a huddle, which you don't, you don't always see, you know, on film, obviously. But I think I think those two th- those two things, and then you know at the end, how are they finishing the play? You know, are, are they are they giving a little you know nasty little shove at the echo of the whistle? Uh, that that tells a little bit about them. But you know, if you can see how they approach the line from the huddle, um, or how they're getting set, if they're a no huddle team, are they getting set with a sense of urgency? Um, how they come off the ball. Um, I, I, I don't think there's enough emphasis put on that. Uh, coming off the ball low and hard, uh, low hips, uh, that, that's all kind of stuff we're looking for. <clears throat> and then at the, the end there, how, how they're finishing plays. They're finishing a little nasty within the rules. Um, the, the, those would probably be the top three things. But I, I know in the fourth quarter, if you're a huddle team and you're breaking the huddle and you're sprinting the line, I mean, man, if you're a D-line, then you're thinking, man, something's wrong with these guys. They've been coming at us for, for four quarters. That, that's a way to get a mental edge. That, it requires very minimal effort. Just attention to detail. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.